I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. It is Brian Hines from Pat's Pulpit, joined by Taylor Kyles today, CLNS's own, our wonderful Taylor, filling in for Barth today, who is a little under the weather, doesn't have his voice fully, so uh, he's resting up, hoping he doesn't get Wally pipped by Taylor here. He should be back soon, but... uh, I got the red gloves ready. I got (laughs) him. We're going to have to give you a Julian Edelman as punt return, maybe. To, uh, But uh, thank you for joining us today. I know we had to pull you from some Drake May film on, on Twitter there you were posting, which we all know I love the Drake May film. But uh, thanks for, for joining us today because we have a lot to talk about because we haven't been live on this show, actually, since last week. And at that time, Bill O'Brien was still the Patriots offensive coordinator. So... <laughs> We have a, a lot to talk about here, so let's just start off right away with, with Billy O, who left his contract here in New England, went back to the collegiate level. He took the offensive coordinator job at Ohio State, so it obviously didn't work here last year. Right? He came back to get this offense back on track, kind of rejuvenate Mac Jones's career. That all went south, so Billy O is out, and we have this kind of full-blown offensive coordinator search going on so when that news kind of broke what were your kind of main reactions and then we can get into a little little bit of these candidates that they've been interviewing this past week yeah well initially I mean it's kind of what I'd been feeling for a while that I thought it was pretty unfair um how everything with Bill O'Brien kind of worked out where he was put in a tough spot where the offensive line obviously was in shatters you know like there was no really good offensive tackle play outside and once they finally settled on Mike and Wenu and then Trent Brown really got rolled up on against the Bills and then that kind of went down the toilet in the interior of the offensive line the guard spots were just all over the place even with City so then left guard Cole Strange gets hurt and then the receiver situation where no it was up and down you had Pop who was your star but he's still a rookie his route running was all over the place Devontae Parker and Juju sometimes their effort wasn't really there the technical ass So it wasn't really fair, I think, to gauge how good Bill O'Brien could be and what he could do to maximize Mac Jones's talent. Um, I thought he was doing some good things, though. I really did think he was trying to adapt and incorporate some new things. But at the same time, he wasn't perfect either. You know, I think the Patriots are like top five in delay game penalties in the league because they have a very lengthy pre-snap checklist, which we asked him about a lot. And you want to give your quarterbacks options, but you also don't want to make it so that, you know, you're getting penalized because it takes so long to get through everything or overloading them. Um, And then 
there were like weekly occurrences where receivers were really tight in the same areas where you're not sure if that's, you know, receivers releasing the wrong way, where if, you know, you take an outside release instead of an inside release, then you got two guys who are right next to each other. Um, but he always took accountability. That's thing, you know, talking to him. I really enjoyed those times that we got um, when he was speaking to the media because he was always transparent. He was always accountable, uh, but he, you know, still kept the veil as much as he could in, you know, a way that he had to respect. So there was a way, there was a point where I was like, oh, I wish I could have seen how he did with a better quarterback and a better offense. But at the same time, it's exciting, especially now, because you got all these McVeigh guys interviewing and it's clear the Patriots are going in that direction. So um, I'm not sure if that was the plan all along, like how seriously they thought Bill O'Brien was in terms of coming back. Um, and again, at the time, I was like, ah, that sucks for Bill. But still, hey, at least we get to see what the offense looks like under new leadership. So, you know, bittersweet for sure. But uh, the sweet outweighs the bitterness for sure. Yeah. Because now you get to see some McVeigh influence. Fresh. Up fresh blood in here and i agree with you a lot like billy O's a good coach right it didn't go mm -hmm. great this year but he, he's a good football coach and you kind of feel bad in a way because he was excited to come back here he, he says it all the time he loves coaching here he loves coaching under bill and, and his family's here so i think he came back here with the idea that he'd stay here a, a few years and they'd have success but didn't go that year, didn't go that way. And I think there was maybe a path that he could have stayed, but he kind of looked at all this change and how hard that year before and kind of just assumed it might be best for him to go elsewhere back to the collegiate level. But he, he hit the nail on the head there with kind of this fresh start. And I know people hate the word on Twitter, a modern offense. And, you know, but we talked about this system so much. And you even mentioned that pre snap checklist that you see Mac Jones up at the line of scrimmage. He's you know, calling out protection, dishing all these hand signals, and that's even before the ball is snapped. After is a whole nother world where you have to be on the same page as all your receivers, and all. it seems like now is just a good time to maybe revamp this system, and especially when you have a young quarterback. You assume with the third overall pick coming in here, maybe make life a little bit easier on him, and then talk about you're going to need new wide receivers and they haven't been able to develop wide receivers in ages it feels like and you wonder how much of that system had to do with maybe some of that you hear guys even an established vet like juju first time we spoke to him back in april or may he said he got like a college degree in football because of how hard this is so it seems like they're headed in kind of a new direction with all these you know offensive coordinator interviews it's zach robinson mm -hmm. Nick Cayley, who we know Nick Cayley, but he just spent the year in L.A. Zach Robinson has obviously been groomed under Sean McVay in L.A. They interviewed Shane Waldron, who ultimately went to – he took the job with the Bears, but he's another one of those bred under Sean McVay. And who was the last one? Uh, Dan Pitcher, the uh, uh, yeah. Bengals quarterback coach, another one of those. You know, He worked under Zach Taylor, who worked under Sean McVay. So it really looks like they're headed kind of to that Sean McVay tree with this offensive coordinator hire. Yeah. And I mean, especially with Zach Robinson and Nick Cayley, even if they do get those guys, one thing, and Albert B reported this yesterday, they're probably going to bring in somebody who's had head coaching experience or like a senior offensive advisor. Um, I do think to a degree it's overblown. We talk about, you know, you, they've never called plays before. Zach Robinson has called a couple preseason games for the Rams. So, you know, at least he has that under his belt. Like, it's not like he has never done it in his professional career. Uh, but I did think it was interesting that they could still even bring somebody else in, which I think is smart for a staff that's so young 
Like, I think Tem Lukabu is the only guy that they've interviewed who's 40 years old or over. So, you know, it's exciting and it's interesting because Gerard Mayo's obviously a young guy. And you see with the McVay tree kind of preaches a lot of what Gerard Mayo said he wanted for the team. It's much more communication. It's making guys feel invested, like they have some stake in the game plans and everything. And like they're really a part of it, kind of giving them the keys once they're on the field. And also, as the Patriots always do, he said that they still want to be a game plan team where they change week to week. And the McVay system, I know people talk about how, you know, oh, are they going to bring Mike and Wenu back, for example, because they run a lot outside zone. McVay went from being a primarily or very heavy outside zone team, you know, in the Super Bowl with Todd Gurley and all that. He adapted to his personnel and also how defenses were playing him. They ran more duo or man blocking schemes than anybody in the league, and the Patriots are right behind them. So they're not stuck in their ways. They've done a very good job of, you know, tweaking things about their scheme to give themselves an advantage. And obviously on a roster with the Patriots, where you're probably going to have a lot of young players. They already do have quite a few young players, especially when you look at the free agents and guys that might leave um, and their ability to develop those guys. So it's, it's a, it's a really exciting time. There's also some candidates that we may not know about. Like they, you know, they interviewed Shane Waldron. We didn't even hear about that until yesterday. He already took the Bears offensive coordinator job. So, yeah, it's uh, again, it's just it's, it's a fun time in Foxborough because everyone's been pining for this, you know, Shanahanian McVeigh type of thing. And, you know, Shanahan has evolved as well. But McVeigh, I feel like, is the poster child for, you know, you thought we were this a few years ago. And then you look at where they are now and it's like, whoa, this is a, a lot of things are the same. But stylistically, you look at the tape and there's a lot of things that are yep. also very different. Yeah, the, the run game is is a great point because you look at like the dolphins this year, like they were a really explosive run game, but it was a lot of that kind of zone stuff. Obviously Mike McDaniel is, is in that Shanahan McVay tree. And then that's how really McVay won the super bowl was that offense kind of unlocked. Obviously they got Stafford, but they went down the more that traditional, you know, duo runs and some of that. So they can evolve and it is encouraging to see these guys in. I was just and looking at you mentioned at Stafford even real quick, but like you mentioned Stafford, talk about how they also adapted from Goff to him. Like they yeah. made sure to maximize his talents, whereas Goff, as we've seen, you know, throughout his time in Detroit and LA, his bread and butter are those in cuts over the intermediate middle of the field. Like that's that's what he's hitting constantly. And with Stafford, he isn't really as confined. You know, he does a great job manipulating defenses, throwing all over the field. He can hit you deep with these crazy, really long throws. And McVay adapted his offense to make sure that he maximized those talents. So again, just another element of like, this is not the same Rams offense necessarily uh, that, you know, Patriots fans saw get shut down uh, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I was just like, I'm sure you put together your your list of candidates for offensive coordinator right when after Bill O'Brien left. I was just... Like, when's the last time we put out those candidates lists and it's like, oh, they interviewed this guy and then this guy and then this guy, this guy. That like all It's all these guys that we wanted to see them bring in and it is kind of exciting. So I'll ask you, all, of all these guys that they have interviewed or maybe someone who they might be interviewing that you're looking at, like who is your – do you have a clear-cut favorite or is there one or two above, above the rest and maybe one guy who's not on these lists that you still want to see – kind of come in here and interview for this OC spot. It's the basic pick, but I'm also just not going to overthink it. Like it's Zach Robinson. Yep. One, you look at how much attention he's getting. Like that's pretty significant. If he's getting all these interviews and there's very clearly a reason. Um, Young guy. I mean, he doesn't have the Patriots ties. It's like, yeah, he got drafted by the Patriots. He didn't make it out of camp. He never, like three he, months. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's not really uh, very much a Patriots kind of guy, but he's been in that Ram system for a long time. The quarterback experience, I think, is huge considering they're probably going to draft a young quarterback. It's someone who can see the game through their eyes and also, 
I was watching um, an interview he did. I think it was the beginning of last season, maybe two seasons ago. Um, and just the way that he communicates, like you can, I'm probably going to use this word a lot. And it's one that I keep using when I talk about the Rams, but it's, it really is big. When you look at everything with Bill, he communicates very well, but in terms of kind of getting down to your level and relating to players, there was a disparity there and you know, it, it's fine on defense, but for the offensive players, it started to create some friction and you saw that it didn't work out so well. So yeah, I think Robinson is definitely the most exciting candidate. He's a pass game coordinator. So I think if you get an offensive line coach, maybe you bring in Nick Haley as well. Maybe he could be a run game coordinator uh, to kind of help out with that aspect. But I just think he's probably one of the more, um, one of the most ideal candidates in terms of his history, the kind of things he can bring. Um, and just the fact that they're not really looking outside of that tree. Like you got Bo Hardigree and Josh McDaniels, obviously, who they both have the New England ties. And Nick Cayley still is a New England guy. Um, but Gerard Mayo was in his interview process as well and saw and um, clearly thought enough of him to bring him back. So I, I think it was uh, Zach Cox yesterday on Pat Staley said that he had like a study abroad in L.A., which is like, yeah, it's kind of exactly what it was, being able to incorporate those influences. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to put Zach Robinson at the top of the list just for a lot of the obvious reasons. Yeah, I'm with you, too. And I think just the fact that he was a quarterback is such a big part of this, considering you're probably using that number three pick on a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And you look at, you know, the history here, the quarterback coach has been Josh McDaniels and then, you know, Joe Judge for a year. And then it's been Bill O'Brien and Evan Rothstein has mixed in with all these guys the last few years. And it's like Josh and, and Bill, Billy O, they're good coaches, but they weren't quarterbacks, right? And if you could get an actual quarterback in there, because for as good as these top three prospects are, you know, they're not perfect. No prospect is perfect. Yeah. These guys are going to need their corrections, especially some of them with, you know, footwork and type of stuff like that. So if you have a former quarterback just in the house that they can bounce ideas off and work on their fundamentals pretty much year round, right? They're going to be there whenever they need to. I think that would, that would just be, you know, such a big benefit for them to have that, that in the building. Absolutely. And especially because quarterbacks coaches, like one of the bigger issues, especially with Mac, like we kept talking about his footwork and how that was kind of deteriorating. If you have an offense coordinator who's separate from the quarterbacks coach, it's just you have to listen to two different people. Whereas if your coordinator is also teaching you and has the experience where, you know, Josh McDaniels, he is a quarterbacks coach, but I'm sure he's, you know, not giving you the same thing you'd get from like a trainer or someone that you go to in the offseason, but somebody who's played the position, like you said, just gives that much of a tighter influence in terms of them understanding you and what you might be going through. Something about footwork where, you know, maybe you, you tweak the drops or the play calling based on how someone's more comfortable. So, yeah, I think that if you have those two guys in the same role, that's just a huge advantage for a young quarterback. Yeah, because you always hear these guys, they all have their QB coaches now, right? Like Jordan Palmer is a big one. Uh, I forget who Mac has, but Mac had someone else that they go see these guys in the off season. But if you can just have that in your building with these guys year round, that seems like uh, a big advantage there. But he also mentioned Nick Cayley maybe coming with Zach Robinson. I think that could be kind of the home run scenario here where mm -hmm. maybe he's your tight ends coach, which is another lateral move, but maybe you give him run game coordinator as a title. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of seems like a promotion. I think that would be, Perfect, because then you have Zach Robinson, and you hope things go well, and he's probably going to be looking at head coaching interviews right. maybe mm -hmm. next offseason or, or in two years. So then you would have that internal guy in Nick Cayley to kind of promote, which they didn't do in 2022, and you saw how that goes. But I think that would be a home run move to bring Robinson as the OC, try to get Nick Cayley back on the staff, and then you have your internal successor for him if 
you hope again things go well and Zach Robinson is taking head coaching interviews in a year or two. Plant the seed for a new McVay tree. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they have an O-line coach or something they could bring into. I know I think the Rams uh they have had like the same assistant O-line coach for seven years. So I don't know maybe if he's looking to get out of there or right. something, but you know, that that they could establish kind of their own tree there in New England. That would be the home run play. But the other report was if you go with one of these young OCs like Zach Robinson, you know, Albert Breer said they might want an experienced guy on top of that. You thinking Josh McDaniels, even though that's not the same system? Are you thinking we got the report from I think it was Diana Rossini who said a bunch of teams want Arthur Smith in the building, maybe Frank Reich. I don't I don't know. Like who are these who could you see maybe as a one of these veteran coaches, older assistants to kind of come in here and guide a young coach and coordinator? Of those options, I'd probably go with Frank Reich. I feel like he's just been put in so many tough situations. I also really do like a lot of the things he did schematically when he was with the Colts, uh, but then obviously with the Panthers, like it was just such a bad situation. And then you get another former quarterback in the building, someone yeah. who has that unique perspective. Josh, I think is going to go if if Bill gets a head coaching job, which is looking. It looked no. like it was locked in, and now not so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you could bring Josh back, I think that would be pretty great. But also you wonder how things would mesh in terms of like the kind of differences in philosophies. That'd be kind of interesting to see how they marry whoever they get to be the coordinator with someone who'd be advising them. But I mean, Josh McDaniels is also a Super Bowl winning like play caller. Maybe, you know, they have some different philosophies, but if they can find some way to mix, I know that people want to move on from the things from the past. And I understand that but like Josh McDaniels failures have been as a leader of an organization and as a leader of men. And that's not and also in terms of scouting talent. And he's not going to be asked to do those things. He's going to be advising uh, the coaches directly, maybe some, you know, relationship with the players. I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think when he has a lot on his plate, he just kind of fumbles the bag and kind of just subconsciously reverts to his Belichickian ways, which has not worked out clearly. So, yeah, I mean, Josh McDaniels, just in terms of somebody who has so much experience and has done it at the highest level, had a ton of success. And then Frank Reich is someone who has had a history of success in the league, has been a quarterback, and just really has been put into some really tough spots in this in the past couple seasons. Yeah. Last question for you, offensive side of the ball, and then we can get over to the defense. If they're going this McVay-Tree route and you have your option – for the sake of the you know experiment you have your option of any quarterback at number 3 overall which one are you taking to run maybe Zach Robinson or Nick Cayley's offense I feel like it's got to be Drake May I'm like, I think Jaden Daniels can fit in any system, but I mean, just like the middle of the field stuff, when you talk about the arm, I like Jaden Daniels and he's, he has a really good deep ball, but his deep ball is more outside the numbers where you don't need a rocket arm to throw a go route. You really don't. It's more about placement, timing and things like that. But I think Drake may like the way he can layer throws, he can hit those deep posts. If somebody wants to bite on like a cross or those kinds of things. I think we work so, so well in a McVay type of scheme. There's always the question of how he'd work under center. The Rams run a ton, a ton of under center. That's going to be a question with almost any college quarterback you bring yeah. in, to be fair. Like Jaden Daniels, you know, you don't. But they also run a lot of pistol. 
I think pistol would suit Jaden Daniels very, very well because that's kind of a scheme where you can incorporate some of the read stuff because you have the element of you can turn your back to the defense and you have the back where it's, you know, similar to that dot formation where it's just directly behind the quarterback. I kind of like those better because if the running back is offset left or right, it kind of gives you a tell to what's happening. Sometimes coordinators kind of mess with that because they'll have it move last minute and kind of force confusion or some last adjustments. But uh, yeah, I, I would say Drake may a hundred percent. He just feels like he would be such a perfect fit because watching him, it's hard for me not to think of like a more risky Matt Stafford. Yeah, Like he's got the ability to throw those side arms and like the different arm slots and things like that. And I think a lot of his game, I mean, everybody says like Herbert and Josh Allen, and I see those comparisons as well, but just looking at what Stafford does on the field outside of his just insane eye manipulation, which Drake may does to a degree. Um, but it's more when he has certain types of matchups where Stafford just does it at like the highest level for like right up there with Mahomes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but yeah, I, I think it's Drake. Kind of like Stafford, but put maybe Josh Allen's brain in his head because he has those, you know, golden retriever mindset, <laughs> chaotic plays that where he's trying to hurdle someone or, you know, yeah. doing one of those weird shovel passes. But yeah, I agree. I think May would be a, a great fit in that system. Daniels would be interesting because you'd assume he'd be best in like more of a spread where you can use his legs and, and get out. And McVay's obviously those tighter splits, but uh, he, I think it, he might still be able to manage it and, and make it work, but I think, yeah, that would pretty much be Drake May's bread and butter there in that offense. But let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball pretty quickly because they're still trying to fill out that staff and that side of the things, and it looks like that might be done first here, maybe mm -hmm. at the end of this week or over the weekend, and uh, that's because Demarcus Covington looks like the strong favorite to be the defensive coordinator. Obviously, he, he's worked here a while since 2017 he's been the d-line coach the last four or five years which was their best unit last year he's worked linebackers with mayo in, in 2019 so he you know he's got a feel for the defense beyond just in the trenches and then he's been an up-and-coming kind of candidate here he had two dc interviews last year he worked as a defensive coordinator at the senior bowl where he, he got a lot of praise from jim Nagy and some of the coaches and players down there so this seemed like right away, as long as he didn't follow Bill, this seemed like the most sense. And, you know, he obviously has the familiarity with Gerard and what he wants to do. And it seems like they're headed in that direction with Covington here as the DC. Yeah, he seemed like the favorite really the entire time. It was kind of like Steve and Demarcus were like, all right, one of these guys is probably going to get the coordinator job. Steve has been the one calling plays for this defense like forever. It's not in his job description. You wouldn't know unless you, you know, you ask somebody who follows the team very, very closely. And, you know, I was talking to Brett Coleman the other day and he's like, yeah, I talk to people all the time. And I'm like, do you know who the coordinator is for New England? And a lot of people are like, I have no idea. Um, and as you know, as we know, Gerard was basically the coordinator, did everything but call plays. And that was Steve's job. But Marcus Covington. I know players have said that he could coach the line, he could coach linebackers, he could coach the secondary. Again, he's been in this defense for so long that he's got a lot of experience. He knows it inside and out. Commands respect is a beloved guy in that locker room as someone who's already gotten um, attention in terms of being a defensive coordinator. I think he interviewed with the Cardinals and the Chargers uh, last year. And then, like you mentioned, Jim Nagy, they were saying that because at the Senior Bowl, uh, it was the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl, one or the other. Um, I always get them mixed up. The Senior Bowl. Um, it, was how you have to kind of it was confusing last year because the Patriots staff was at the Shrine Bowl, but Covington was at the Senior Bowl, and it was just right. it was a mess. But 
<laughs> but um, but like the ability to condense like a really big playbook and get guys up to speed quickly and also just work together with people. And, you know, it's a staff of people that you're not familiar with. And that's where you got praise. And those are the things you want to see in a defensive coordinator. Um, And a lot of the role that Mayo would have, I assume, would fall to Demarcus Covington. And I, I think he's ready. Players are confident in him. If he's got all this experience, I don't see why it wouldn't be him. Um, And at some point, you know, he's trying to get a head coaching job. So this just seems like the next step, especially you could take a coordinator job elsewhere. But if you have an opening where you're at, it just makes too, too much sense. And I'm excited about it. I really would be, um, you know, pretty psyched to see what he can do in that role. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people don't like, they, they get mad at this point with the continuity and just promote it from internal. But if there was ever a time to do it, like this is the guy to do it with, because he's on that path and just the continuity with Mayo is key here. And like even I think Phil Perry said when he was at the Shrine Bowl, like he got up in front of the room and like kind of did what Mayo did here and like introduces the game plan and, and told these guys a pitch and like got him going. So he, he can lead and he's that type of guy. But uh, you did mention Steve. It looks like the door is still open for him and Brian to return. Mike Reese had it in his Sunday notes, which was like last week already. The days are all over the place. But <laughs> he said Brian was still in the facility working. He added on Twitter that, you know, Steve might come back in this kind of like assistant to the head coach or kind of advisor role to keep him in the building. So, I mean, they might not even get the chance to follow their dad now, right? If he doesn't get, if he gets kind of squeezed out of that Atlanta. Very interesting. What kind of domino effect that would start. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, looks like maybe Steve and Brian could be back. And I, I mean, I think that would, I think they're two good coaches. So like, why not keep them back and keep that defensive side of the ball intact as much as possible there? The defense was the only reason they were competitive in games. Like, they entered all but two fourth quarters with a very legitimate chance to win games. And almost every time, they got the offense the ball with the last possession with the chance to win the game, and the offense just kept poo-pooing all over themselves. So that side of the ball you want to keep, I think, as much continuity as possible, like you mentioned. Steve, I mean – He's been calling the defense. Like, we, we already said it. I think it's pretty clear cut. And he has a great relationship with Gerard Mayo. Um, even going back to when Gerard was a player, because he ended up on injured reserve, I think it was three yep. times. Might have been three years in a row. Every time he was helping, because a lot of times when players end up on injured reserve, they basically become assistant coaches. And they help with game plans. They'll look at certain situations. If it's third down, red zone, whatever, and help scouting and things like that. And he worked with Steve a lot. They got really close there. Gerard obviously goes into business after his playing career, then comes back and coaches. And then he and uh, I think it was supposed to be um, Greg Schiano was supposed to be the coordinator when Mayo got there in 2019 because he ended up going to Ohio, back to Ohio State, ended up being Gerard and Steve. And that's kind of when they started to run the defense. So there's just so much continuity there. Even if Bill leaves, I don't see the advantage of – leaving and going to a different place when you have a family here and you have a great relationship with the guy who's now in charge. If you want a head coaching job, if you're a senior advisor or, you know, whatever title they want to give him, I'm sure they're going to give him whatever it is that's like right under head yeah. coach. So if he's got those aspirations, I think he'd probably do himself more favors doing it in an organization where he's comfortable and knows everything and everyone knows him and, you know, under someone like Mayo versus just following his dad. And then you really have no idea what's going to happen in that 
situation. The Falcons have a really talented defense, but there's no guarantee you're going to have the same success, although the division over there is much weaker in the NFC South. So I think Steve Stagg makes all the sense in the world. Brian, we don't know quite as much about just because he's been the safeties coach, but he also has been, I think it was, uh, he was a linebackers coach or defensive line coach. It was one of the, I think it was linebackers coach, right? Sometime in the past. I believe so. He's bounced around. They've all bounced right. around on that side of the ball. And they like to cross train. So, you know, he's another guy who's got a lot of experience. He could maybe be the successor if they want for Steve as someone who, you know, like Steve, has so much experience in this defense. Eventually, Covington's going to leave. Eventually, uh, Steve's going to leave. And Brian's somebody who's probably sneaking under the radar because, you know, you're not hearing about him getting interviews for D.C. or anything like that. So, you know, keep that pipeline going. You want to... Bottom line, you want to keep continuity on defense because especially if you get a young quarterback, you know, we talk about how offense is dominating the NFL and all that. But that's not really true because if you look around the league, last year you could probably say that where you had all these crazy shootouts all the time. It hasn't been the same this season. You look at the Ravens, like Mike McDonald has been single-handedly awesome. shutting down the McVay and Shanahan trees and doing a very – obviously he's got elite defense, but he's been having the success going back to Michigan. So defense still wins you games in this league. And if you have an offense, it's going to have to catch up and, you know, might go through a little identity crisis as they figure things out. You want a defense that knows each other, that's hearing the messages from the same types of people and to be able to go into next season, at least having that in your back pocket. Yep. You want to keep as many good coaches in the building as possible during this. And those two guys are, are good coaches. So try to keep them if you can. The last note on the defensive side of the ball, they interviewed Gerald Alexander for the defensive coordinator position. Uh, he is an assistant defensive backs coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers the last two years. This kind of screamed like their offensive coordinator search last year where they're just looking for guys to maybe join DeMarcus Covington's staff here. And right. you have a guy who coaches defensive backs. I mean, he coached DBs in Miami under Josh Boyer and Brian Flores, right? So obviously he can coach that similar style of system. So maybe if Mike Pellegrino leaves, follows Bill, and, and maybe if I know which would be crushing, <laughs> and maybe Brian takes on a new role, you know, they could look to bring Alexander in here for some some role in that secondary to take to fill some of those guys' shoes. Yeah, and it's interesting because they also interviewed Christian Parker, who's a defensive backs coach for the Broncos. So you start to think there's going to be a lot of change on the staff. Are they just going to combine and just have a defensive backs coach period and not safeties and cornerbacks? Because the Patriots defensive backs end up playing a little bit of everything. Like Miles Bryant is a Swiss Army knife. He plays in the slot, but that slot role specifically, depending on the package and the look you get, and just kind of, you know, I asked Kyle Duggar, how they decide, you know, when there's going to be him in the slot and then you kick Miles Bryant back when you want to have a too high zone. And he's like, yeah, it's kind of just how we're feeling. Like, there doesn't seem to be a rhyme and reason. It's kind of just, you know, I'm sure he also didn't want to spill the beans. But if you play certain roles in the defense, you end up doing everything. Sometimes if if they get a look where it's a nub look, where it's just the tight end isolated to one side and three receivers to the other, what they'll do a lot of the time is they'll have a safety come down and play more of like a cloud defense where you can jam that guy and the safety plays short. And they have the corner actually playing safety because they're rangier. So then it kind of gives you that security where you also get physicality at the line. So there's so much mixing and matching in the secondary that it would make sense if you just put it all under one umbrella and said, hey, 
Defensive backs, we're all just getting on the same page here. I'm not sure how they run meetings necessarily, if there is kind of a joint effort already because they all have to be on the same page so much. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be really cool to see how the staff changes, whether they um, – also, like, I think it's interesting, Michael Hodges, he's somebody I wanted to mention earlier where I ended up stealing your tweet. I sent it out and then was looking through my notifications. I was like, oh, my God, Brian said this like 10 minutes ago. Uh, but Michael Hodges and DeMarcus Covington were co-defensive oh, coordinators yeah. at Eastern Illinois. Very clear continuity there. So another guy you can get down the pipeline where if DeMarcus leaves and they got a good relationship, you know, you're just kind of keeping guys in the system who are also young. So, you know, even if some guys get attention for defensive coordinator, head coach, you can keep that pipeline going with the guys that they brought in who have a lot of ties to the Patriots, kind of the opposite of the offense, where it seems like they're <laughs> trying to get as far away from their old system as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really like the guys they've been bringing in the interview. I think there's some interesting candidates. Again, young guys who are – every single guy you see in the notifications, it's like – Young risers, mid thirties, yeah. really well respected. Like these aren't just young guys who it's like, oh, we're you know, it's a youth revolution. It's no, these are people who the league sees as you know, really talented, smart, communicative coaches. So I'm excited to see how the staff actually fills out. Particular, I mean, offense obviously, particularly on defense, because if Bill does leave, you know, some guys might jettison, and if he doesn't, again, the domino effect of a Bill doesn't get a head coaching job. Do guys end up staying? And then you don't even need to have all these transitions. If Pellegrino stays, and you know, you don't need this overhaul. So, you know, we're, we're still in the thick of it where it's just a lot of speculation and if this, then that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of balls in the air, but I like who they're bringing in. Yeah. It feels like the Falcons need to hire a coach for these parts to really kind of get moving and these last pieces to come together. But, yeah, anytime you hear one of these reports, it's like people who are either fans of the team or cover the team on, on Twitter have just nothing but praise about all these coaches. And, you know, Hodges is a linebackers coach with the Saints. So, you know, they need a new linebackers coach because that was Gerard's job. And then you talked about these two guys in the secondary, like maybe they combine. That would be really interesting. I know Alexander actually played safety in the league, so maybe he mm -hmm. just takes more of a safety role. But they have a lot of paths that this defensive staff could, could kind of go. And I know, again, as you said, we all want to focus on the offense, but this defensive staff uh, could be really interesting to see uh, how it yeah. comes together. So let's take a very quick break we'll hear from our friends over at FanDuel and then we'll talk about burning some cash and spending some money all right let's do it well the NFL season is wrapping up but there is still time to get on the action with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet that's pretty good math right that's 150 bucks in bonus bets win or lose the app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. The best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 
or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This show is brought to you by LinkedIn Talent Solutions. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. You can check out LinkedIn Jobs. Again, over a billion qualified candidates and they'll help you find the right person for your team like that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in deserving quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat. That's linkedin.com slash beat, B-E-A-T, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Gerard Mayo had his first radio interview on Monday as the new Patriots head coach. And the big thing was, you know, he was asked about, does he have leeway to spend money from ownership? And he said, we're burning some cash and we're bringing in talent and we are spending money. Uh, My brain first went to the scene of the Joker in the dark night of lighting all the money on fire on the boat (laughs) or whatever they were. Then my brain went to, well, kind of duh, they have to spend money because they have so much cap space, right? And they're kind of really have to. <laughs> they're kind of at that three year window where they have to reach a floor, I believe, of spending money and they just need talent. Mm-hmm. So and then, you know, as I thought about it a little more, I was, you know, I hope they actually don't burn money and they sp- more spend money wisely and, and this isn't a twenty twenty one kind of thing right. where they're just throwing as much money out here. And I think they're looking at this differently. I think they looked at 2021 as let's throw a lot of money out there and try to build this up, you know, quickly. Like we'll take the short-term approach, which, you know, kind of worked. They got back to the playoffs and then it kind of fell apart from there. But now you have a young coach. You may be looking at more of a a longer rebuild here. So, you know, you got to spend money, you got to bring in talent, but let's, let's do it wisely here and not just throw bags at people for the sake of throwing money at people. Exactly. I think 2021 needs to be the blueprint of let's make sure we're allocating cash well. You can even go back to last season, like the Devontae Parker extension. Obviously, you know, I think it's forgotten and it's different if you weren't really there. But we were watching in practice over the summer every day. Like he was the one who was making most of the big plays. At least once a day, you're seeing him catch his crazy deep pass. It's like, okay, they have their wide receiver one where he's consistently winning on slants. He was like smoking Christian Gonzalez to the point where I asked my Pellegrino, like, 
is, you know, what's that been like? Is he able to learn from Devontae Parker? He was like, yeah, no, he's making, you know, rookie mistakes and Devontae's helping him. But now that looks really bad, especially when you consider that all on the field, like the effort throughout the season wasn't really there. And it's like, all right, so like, what are you seeing behind the scenes? Was there no indication that this might be a problem? Then you got Juju, obviously, where, you know, on the outside, it seems like, all right, they got their yak guy. They got their chain mover, kind of like a Jacoby Myers, where they're, believe it or not, they're like similar ages, actually. They're not that far apart just because Juju was so young when he got in the league. But the tread on his tires was a concern, but we didn't know how bad it was until we actually saw him on the field. And we're like, oh, he's shot. Like, this dude is really still reeling from the knee injuries, which was it was hinted at in OTAs. Um, and then you see, like, he battles injury throughout the season, ends up on injured reserve. So it's the biggest thing is you can't give a lot of money to guys with bad contracts you can't get out of. Because now the Patriots are looking at Parker and Juju. I'm sure they're at least considering moving on from them and trying to get some young, more explosive talent. But it's, okay, who's going to take him in a trade? You know, I think it's after June 1st or June 2nd or something like that. Um, so that you don't end up just incurring a ton of dead money unnecessarily. Now, they have enough that... You know, if there aren't a lot of guys that they necessarily want to throw the bag at, maybe it kind of helps them a little bit where you take some of that off. Um, because frankly, you know, and I'm sure we're going to go through this, but with a lot of these free agents, the names that a lot of Patriots fans want, I'm not really sure are going to make it to market. And even if they do, there's going to be stiff competition. And even if you try to throw a bag at them, it's okay. Well, you know, for Mike, Mike Evans, for example, is he going to want to stay with Baker and continue the continuity and retire a Buccaneer? Or is he going to be like, oh, no, I want to cash out in my last few years in the league and just take, you know, whatever money I can get. So it's going to be interesting to see how they allocate it. But I hope that Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf were not the ones responsible for some of the, some of the poorer choices. And, you know, we're going to find out very soon. Yep. And I, you know, I see a lot of names coming in, in the chat, Calvin Ridley, um, someone down here, you know, Calvin Ridley again, Marquise Brown and Ashton brings up the point like Higgins, Evan or Pittman, you know, you talked about Mike Evans there quickly, but T Higgins and Michael Pittman seem like prime franchise tag candidates, right? right? Like, will they even get to the open market? Cause you know, I know the Bengals, they, they paid Joe Burrow. They might, they're going to have to pay Jamar chase. Do they want to pay T Higgins a big four or five year deal? You know, maybe not, but they're also in their Super Bowl window right now. So right. if you can extend that for a year and then figure it out later, they're probably going to do that. And Michael Pittman, they just used the fourth overall pick on Anthony Richardson. You think they're probably going to want to keep his number one uh, receiver in town. So those two would be my, like, if they're there, throw the bag at them. Like, those right. guys would be great fits here. If you can get, you know, one of those guys, pair them with pop in the slot. And then there's so many good of like these mid round kind of moves, Z wide receivers in the draft. That'd be a great trio, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. So are you thinking, how are you feeling Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, or maybe another receiver we're, we're not talking about? Yeah. So I'm going to cheat sheet real quick and I'll go with a, a friend of CLNS, Brad Spielberger, PFF does a great job, you know, with the numbers and the free agency and all that. So after T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, and Mike Evans, who I talked about, like if you could throw a bag at him and he comes, there are soft tissue injuries, he's old, he'll drop some easy passes. Those are the bad things, but he also makes incredible plays. He's got Super Bowl and playoff experience. He's a leader. He's one of the greatest receivers in history. I think he's a great guy to get in your room and at least be able to say, okay, he's going to set the example that everybody else follows. And, you know, the value he brings, especially behind the scenes, on top of still being a good player, is enormous. Um, Marquise Brown is a guy where – 
he's kind of repetitive, I feel like, with Pop, especially considering with the McVay-type offense, you like bigger receivers because they use a lot of 11 personnel or three wide receiver sets. So you like those guys to be bigger and be able to, like, dig out safeties and really contribute in the run game. That's more of, like, a Kendrick Bourne. I think Marquise Brown is somebody that you want away from the formation when it comes to stuff like that. And if you have him and Pop and you're probably going to have to pay Marquise Brown, I don't really know how well that's going to mesh. Calvin Ridley is still very explosive. He's still a playmaker. I thought he had a drop problem, and I actually had to go back and look at, like, all right, what what was the quality of the drops? I overrated them, frankly, and I think he's still a big play threat. Uh, But at the same time, he's almost 30 years old. So, you know, I'm not sure how much you want to invest in a guy who's 30. Like, Mike Evans is a different story. Like, Mike Evans is Mike Evans. Mostly, traditionally, with guys who are hitting 30, I don't know if you really want to pay them necessarily. Um, Then – you got Darnell Mooney, who reminds me of Taekwon Thornton a little bit. He's not the same. He's a bet, much better route runner, but he's a guy who's injury prone. He's kind of thin. You need to protect him so he doesn't have to deal with press a lot. He's not great. Tyler Boyd, honestly, is probably the guy. Not that I think he's explosive or anything, but in terms of guys who I'd like to bring in because he's a leader, he's ultra reliable, a kind of guy where I think a rookie would really like having him as a security blanket. Maybe use him as more of a Z, but you know, maybe that overlaps with Kendrick Bourne. I think the moral of the story here is that the receiver market is not as good as we might think it is. It's pretty rough. It's like there is a steep drop off. Top two guys don't even make the market. Then there's that kind of steep drop there. But yeah, um, I think it's like your best case scenario is maybe trying to find a non-first round pick and trade for a guy like Ayuk. Maybe you package something and then you're like, all right, we'll pay him long term. But it's it's not looking pretty, honestly. You're probably more getting like wide receiver two, wide receiver three, wide receiver four kind of guys than you are to get the bona fide playmaker you want. Yeah. And there's I mean, there's always a receiver that feels that comes up on the trade market, right? Like we never mm-hmm. thought Tyreek Hill would get traded. So Maybe in Philly, A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith wants out. Or, I mean, I don't know what Dallas is going to do. I have a hard time thinking they'll move on from C.D. Lamb, but he's in that spot where, you know, he's playing on his fifth-year option now, so he's going to need an extension. So uh, uh, maybe one of those. And we know Matt Groh is willing to pay for those guys. He said it when they they got Thornton. I I really do not think that (laughs) he was had Thornton in mind when he was thinking about this necessarily. (laughs) But he was saying, like, yeah, if you want big receivers or big-name receivers and playmakers like that you got to be aggressive and you got to go get them so it's going to be kind of cool to see if they do try to make one of those big moves that we haven't seen bill make in the past where yeah you're giving up a lot of capital yeah you're giving up a lot of money on top of that but these are guys that help get you to the playoffs and help you make legitimate pushes especially with a young quarterback kind of just being a guy where you might not have the most accurate pass or the best decision and they can still bail you out yep i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Obviously not trading number three, but I mean, maybe 34, like that's basically a late first round pick. So we'll see if one of those guys uh, tends to shake out there. But yeah, the free agent wide receiver class is uh, a little disappointing, but luckily the uh, draft is full of really good talents. Stacked. 
Yeah, uh, I was going through the Senior Bowl receivers today, and it was just one after another. And that's not even like these top guys, like the Marvin Harrisons and Malik Neighbors that we all know. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of guys who will be in that Patriots kind of second, third round range. So there, there's a ton of, of good options here. Uh, moving off receivers, uh, Claude asked in the chat, if we can't re-sign Zeke, are you interested in Saquon at all? Yes, absolutely. I don't think it needs to be modest. Like, you have money. If you can't get a receiver and you can't get, like, the tight end market isn't great. I like Dalton Schultz. I like Noah Fant. I don't like anybody else. If you want a difference-making pass catcher, Saquon Barkley, as long as he's healthy, can be your Christian McCaffrey. That might sound crazy. It's not. You saw there was the game um, before the Giants played the Patriots. I think it was the Commanders where he had like two crazy catches deep along the sideline. Like Saquon is a legitimate receiver, especially the Patriots. Like, you know, you have Ramondre and he he's solid as a receiver. He'll give you a lot of production. But Saquon can be that guy where you use him as a legitimate mismatch piece. And I think can kind of make everybody better, get attention off others. So hell yeah, man. If he wants to come here, I think that I heard um, on Underdog, uh, Josh Norris and Hayden Winks mentioned that he could go to the Texans, which I think would probably be more ideal for him because it's a system where like they have a good offensive line already. They got a young quarterback. They got a ton of money. They'd make sense. But yeah, man, if you want to throw a bag at Saquon, I have no issues with that. Just like I know we all have our needs, like tackle receiver obviously there's things they need to you know bring in talent but like you want to it's like you want to keep coaches in the building like good coaches in the building you also want to get good players in the building and mm-hmm. pay right. these guys good players so even if it's not a position of need like there's so many good defensive linemen and, and free agency and you look at it like oh we already have christian barmore but what if you go got another really good guy and put him next to christian barmore and make that unit even better so like spend this there's obviously needs and positions they need to check off that are priority but pay good players and and they will help your team win but uh we're talking a lot about kind of the external free agents a lot of internal free agents who do you want to see them i think we all know who is at the top of our list but uh who do you want to see this kind of cash and money get spent to kind of keep around guys that are already on the team well I'll, I'll name the obvious ones. Christian Barmore, extend him as soon as possible. I think that kind of – he should be the one who sets what your salary cap actually looks like, where you make sure that you take care of him, especially with Covington becomes your defensive coordinator and all the work he's put into developing Christian Barmore and all the work that Barmore has done. He absolutely deserves to be rewarded. Another homegrown guy who's been really good for you, Mike and Wenu. Never complains, really came up as a leader this season, um, you know, with all the injuries and all the turmoil that went on throughout the season. Gives you flexibility. Like, he's just a prototypical Patriot. I don't think you say, oh, but he doesn't fit our scheme. He's a really good player, and there aren't a lot of good offensive linemen, especially ones that want to come here that you know. So uh, I would say those two guys are at the top of the list. Anthony Jennings. I saw that Brad Spielberger had him making less than $6 million per year on, like, a longer deal. He may not be a pass rusher. He gives you a little bit of something on like stunts and if you let him crash inside, but he's someone who consistently gets you negative plays on early downs. That's invaluable because that gets an offense behind schedule, allows the defense to dictate, and he's also somebody that you cannot consistently run at where you know you can kind of over uh, – you can uh, – what do you call it? Um, a little overcompensate on the backside if you need to because you know if it's a critical situation, they're not going to run at Anthony, and if they do – they're going to pay for it. Um, so he's lot. someone – yeah. So I think he's a lock. Like you have to bring him back. Miles Bryant, 
I think people started to appreciate him. I've been singing his praises like since last year. I thought he was got he got way too much crap a few years ago when there was that Bills game, and everyone's like, "Oh, he can't cover Isaiah McKenzie." You're right, he can't, and it's not his fault the defense didn't adjust. I remember I said it in the game, and then. De- um, Devin McCourty said after the game, he's like, yeah, we should have adjusted better. Like, yeah, no crap, you should have adjusted better. Like, you see him do it more where they'll use cut coverages where Miles Bryant will place the safety in the middle of the field and then they uh, just get leverage on the guy and have the safety crash down, stuff like that. Uh, but he's just so reliable. He's so versatile. He's smart. He's tough. He's well-respected. And frankly, he's going to come cheap. I haven't even seen him on any lists of like free agents and top guys or anything like that. Um, so those are my big guys I really want to bring back. Kyle Duggar, if you franchise tag him, because I think you need to see what he can do if you put him and let him play to his strengths. He played deep way too much. I also think that in coverage, he had a lot of lapses that he got. I know there was that one game where he was sick and it was a bit of an anomaly in his career. So, you know, franchise, see if he bounces back. He's going to be also, I think, 28, 29. 28, yeah, 28, yeah something like that. So, I mean, I mean Oh, it's, it's kind of dark, but I mean, if you franchise him and then he hits the market at 29, like you're going to get him for even cheaper, most likely, even if he plays well. That's just the reality of the business. Um, even though those guys can play kind of, especially the freak athletes can play in their 30s. So franchise Duggar, Josh Uche, I don't know, man. It's tough because he doesn't really get to play to his strengths since they play so much contained and they really try to be responsible with their pass rushes against good uh, mobile quarterbacks. But I also just thought that he didn't wasn't nearly as impressive as he was the season before, and that was the one time where you saw him consistently produce at a high level as a rotational pass rusher. He doesn't even play every snap. Like I think if they want to do that, go get Bryce Huff. If you want a situational guy who's gonna, re- I think he was like third in quick pressure rate behind Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett. Um, so I also think that he's. Anytime I watch an interview, I'm like, I think Josh Uche is coming back. I think Mayo likes him. I think he really likes the organization. He said he probably uh, isn't going to command a lot of money. He was on with like Tom Curran, and he was. Yeah. I mean, we all we always known he's he's praised Mayo a lot in, in the past. He really likes Mayo, but he was on Tom Curran's podcast, and I think Tom asked him point blank, like, "Do you want to come back?" And he was like, "Yeah, I want to play yeah. under Mayo." But then he's like, "You know, a lot can happen with agents and everything." So we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah, and realistically, he's probably only going to get a one-year deal. Like he, he yeah. I don't think anybody's going to be like, "Yeah, we'll give you two, three years." He needs to prove that he can. You know, maybe this was a slump, and see which of the past two seasons is the real Josh Uche. Um, so he's someone where, like, you know, if he comes cheap for sure, but you know, extend Barmore, get Jennings and Enwenu back in the building, franchise Duggar, uh, break Miles Bryant. I feel like is kind of a no-brainer re-signing. Um, those are really the big guys. Oh, also Hunter Henry. I Hunter feel like Henry. that's a pretty obvious one. They don't have a tight end. Mayo listed him as an offensive leader, even though he is going to be a free agent. So he's also someone I don't think is going to command a lot of money. It's a shallow free agent market at that position. But I also think that, you know, I don't think any team is going to look at him and say, we got to pay this guy. You know, we got to get him in our building. I think he's more valuable to the Pats than anybody else. So, yeah, I, I throw him into the mix as well. Yeah. Hunter, like, we get it. He's not an explosive guy. He has his warts as a run blocker, but you have a rookie quarterback. You need a reliable guy at that position, and he's probably the best tight end on the open market. Maybe Dalton Schultz, one of those two guys. Kind of, yeah. Maybe kind the of pairing would party. be awesome. I'd love that. Two yeah. of them together. But uh, I'd like, you know, if you're staying in that tight end room, I think if you get like Hunter Henry, bring Farrell Brown back, who, you know, I would. He had a very good year. He'll probably be pretty cheap. You could bring back and then get like a mid-round tight end in the draft because you got to start yeah. get some youth in there and start to progress one of these guys. 
someone like Jaheim Bell from Florida State, he'll be at the Senior Bowl. He's just like one of these pure athletic tight ends. Maybe that'd be an intriguing pair, but kind of be interesting to see how they uh, address that tight end room. But yeah, I, I think it, it, you know, you hit it on most of those guys. Duggar will be the interesting one just because of his, you know, coverage issues and, and his age. It seems like the franchise tag could really be in play there. We'll, we'll kind of see though. On Winu, I know there is that report from it was ESPN, I believe, that they the Patriots kind of assumed he was gone, that they weren't going to bring him back. But I don't know where was, that came from. Was weird to me. And then Phil Perry reported this morning he had it in an article, I believe, uh, that there is a real f- affinity for on one news game in the building, and they'd like to have him back in Foxborough for 2024 and beyond. So that was an encouraging update. And yeah. You'd like to have him because he's a good offensive lineman, and this offensive line is doesn't need a, a full rebuild with some of those young guys, but they need as many talented bodies up there as possible. And Wendu is one of those guys. Yeah, Sophie Weller, A to Z Sports, like God is free from the horse's mouth. She got from Wendu that he wants to come back yeah. and he wants to be in the building. So, yeah, I you know i respect all these sources you know these guys are in the business and they have the roles they have for a reason but i don't know where the hell that came from because it doesn't compute with anything that we've heard or seen or that is just logical like why in the world would you if you don't like him at tackle fine put him at guard where he should be but yeah i don't think it would make any sense and if you know in this new era where you want to get players respect and everything i don't see how gerard mayo lets somebody like Nwenu, who has no like you know, there's no negatives, really. Yeah. He's respected. He's usually very healthy. The one time he wasn't healthy, he played as much as he could, had off-season surgery, and then played as much as he could for the stretch down the season. So, yeah, it's just such a no-brainer. I don't see why they ever consider letting him walk. Definitely. Definitely agree with you there. But, I mean, that stuff's going to pick up soon, right? We have our coaching staff, which should be in place in the next maybe two weeks, and then mm-hmm. draft and, and free agency. So this cash will be burnt soon pretty much they can i mean they can start extending these guys now the the internal guys so yeah i mean we'll, we'll see i don't know if they're they'll probably wait till the coaching staff is together to do that but mm-hmm. uh anything else like from mayo on eei on monday that kind of stood out to you or anything else that we didn't talk about um I feel like we kind of hit everything. I'm trying to think. It was also that feels like a million years so ago. Long ago. <laughs> Especially because like every day I feel like we get just these notifications at the most inopportune times. Like I'll be sitting on the couch trying to relax at nine o'clock and I'm like sitting next to Liz and then I'm running to get my laptop and she's like something happened. I'm like, yep. <laughs> it's either like before 9 a.m. or after 9 p.m. It's like yeah. watching. I was watching the Bruins game the other night at an ends and I'm like. All right, probably time for bed. And then Bill O'Brien's going to Ohio State. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's chaos. But Gerard Mayo, he wanted it on the record. We'll end here. He wanted it on the record that they would win over four games next season. Are you are you believing in that? I know it's it's way too it's, early yeah. to say anything, but are you buying or selling that? That's the, I'm going to put you on the record too on January 24th. If they keep continuity on defense, yes. Because, like, I think a rookie who's talented and has a better supporting cast will do better than Mac Jones with his brain falling out of his head. I don't mean to be rude to Mac. Like, you know, I feel like I always have to give this caveat of, like, he's super respectful to us. You know, I I, I like him as a person, but as a player, kind of fell off a cliff. So, um, and then you even saw with Zappy, like, we – 
whoever comes in should be better than what you got from Bailey Zappi. And they started ripping off some wins towards the end of the season. And that was when you lost Strange, you lost Hunter Henry, you lost Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, you didn't have Kendrick Bourne. Like, honestly, I think it, we always talk about the rebuild and how long it's going to take. But, like, look how close they were at the end of the season when we always talked about it. Like, they have no business winning these games. And everyone's talking about rock bottom, rock bottom. They found a new rock bottom almost every week in the last month and a half of the season and still found ways to stay competitive and even win games, albeit against a few not great teams. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they they should be better. I also said that they were going to, you know, be better than they were Last in 2022 <laughs> and 2023 and look, you know, egg on my face. But, I mean, they're making the changes, so I sure hope they're better than four wins. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been an encouraging week, I'll say, but there's a lot of time to go. But Amit, clip, clip that. Taylor says the Patriots playoffs next year. They will be better under Gerard Mayo. But uh, Taylor, thank you so much for filling in today. Everyone, make sure you go follow him on Twitter, at tkyles39. You can obviously catch him on the Patriots Press Pass channel, read all his work at clns.com. He'll be on later today at 5 o'clock. I believe yep, going to be talking college QBs with Derek Class and very excited about so, that. So, obviously, tune into that. I'm sure, we'll be talking all those QBs that are going at number three overall in the draft. Uh, Barth and I should be back and hoping he has his voice back tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel and turn your notifications on so you do know when we go live. We'll probably do some QA, I'm guessing. So, make sure you come, put some questions in the chat for us you can also follow me on twitter at i am brian hines and go read all the off-season coverage for the patriots over at patspulpit.com taylor thanks again for joining us and thank you everyone else for tuning in and we will see you guys tomorrow